Okay, so now now we are rolling. We're we rolling. Begin, we can now cast the pod far and wide across the land. Think. But that's what we do. That was the casting of the pod. It landed somewhere. Oh, it goes plain. Yeah, you know. And it starts, you know, the bobber bobs a little bit and sinks just a tad. Oh, is that what that thing is called? The bob? I haven't tried fishing. The fishy, catchy thingy? Bobber. In many things. Well, right, yeah, the bobber, or yeah. So I, I think that at some point when, um, I don't know, I was, I don't know, eight maybe? <laughs> my parents, so we went camping and stuff sometimes, and my parents, probably my mom, I don't know, decided that we... We, if we were going to be like camping and stuff, like we should probably take up fishing or whatever. So we all got like some fishing rods. My parents don't know anything about fishing. They're not really. I mean, you know, my dad was into going camping and stuff like that, but we were like car campers. Like, you know, he's a, a computer programmer, kind of indoor guy. <laughs> there's there's a big so, difference between willing to like fire up a little camp gas stove and gutting hmm. a fish. Truth. Huge, huge difference between those things. So, Turns out. Like, unsurprisingly we did not become fishers especially because i think that you need some kind of predisposition toward fishing because it is incredibly boring but it's definitely a waiting man's game boring stuff is the best though (laughs) it is it is is it is it uh, many many fishing reels manufactured by shimano though that's like another big business that's true that's a big industry crossover right there yeah, that's a big, that's a really big connection. I just think that we don't want to take it too far off of bikes. It's Do you true. think that there are like, is in fishing, is there a, a, a like stereotype of some like weekender dentist with a Shimano reel and an Envy carbon fiber fishing pole? <laughs> if Envy makes fishing poles, I want that to be real. I'm basically right now just imagining someone in a skin suit standing up to their knees in a pond, casting out an Envy rim. And like swearing as they reel it in. <laughs> you know, you would think that there would be more, um, like, I don't know, lycra or other tight athletic clothing involved in the sport of competitive fishing because they get pretty extreme. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I think that might just be us weirdos, though, who, who like that. I yep. mean, I know it exists. I've heard radio programs about it, but competitive fishing is still a phrase that just, I can't, I, it's, yeah. It's like, competitive napping well i may i may have just insulted fisher peoples there but i mean i like (laughs) napping and fishing i like both those things well they get very excited with the competitive fishing like it's like extreme and people are like oh yeah look at this huge fish i just caught i'm I'm gonna reel this fish in faster than anything i don't know what if they just judge them on like the size of the fish or if like are there points for style uh, do you can you if like as you yank the fish out of the water you execute like a, a double half back gainer or something that you know it, there's a higher degree of difficulty like a kick so, flip. yeah exactly you kick flip a fish potentially like, i don't yeah i just i don't know just like is it because it seems like there's an opportunity for it to be more than just like my fish was 15 pounds and four ounces but his fish was 15 pounds and six ounces so i lost by the closest ounce margin in competitive sea bass catching you know it's just like i'm that. I don't sure know. competitive fishers could be just as harsh a critic um if they were looking at bike racers do you think that there's um, an and a piece of technology oh, like like the disc brakes of fishing which is like something that maybe matters maybe doesn't but totally ruins the sport i don't know but <laughs> we're going to discuss it, it this week dynamite? on the honest fishing program <laughs> the honest fishing program welcome welcome Should... we're coming to you on the wide angle fishing network <laughs> uh it, also known as the fish eye the fish eye lens uh, network. network yeah fish eye lens network uh but we are we are actually the honest bicycle program coming to you on the wide angle podium network uh so quick things before we get to Disc break kerfuffles. Uh, first of all, as I mentioned, wideanglepodium.com. That is the network. It is a fine network of fine podcasts. You can go over there, find things like uh, Crosshairs Radio. That's pretty good. You can find the Slow Ride Podcast. Um, they're pretty silly, but they seem popular, so that's fine. Um, you can find the Cat Ride Podcast. Find... 
The what now? Meow. Oh, yeah, sorry. My cat is um, an asshole. Meow. And he's been, for the last several days, a complete dickhole. And we're not really sure why. It's because he's a uh, cat. Anyway, well, that's true. But hopefully he'll shut up and, and we can continue. Um, anyway, cat aside, there's also the Dirtfield Recordings. Uh, which is a new podcast, uh, Consummate Athlete. Anyway, lots of great stuff. Go over there, uh, become a member if you if you feel you can. It really helps us out. Um, the other thing is the uh, oh sponsorship, right? Which would be once again, I believe. Yes, yes, it is Health IQ. Uh, Manuel, can you tell us briefly what Health IQ does? Yeah, I'll I'll do this. Um... Health IQ does a lot of their own really cool data crunching about life insurance. And they've kind of determined that cyclists and athletes and other people who live in an active lifestyle uh, should get much lower rates on life insurance than than the general population. Um, People like us are at much lower risk for uh, cancer and some other chronic diseases, much lower risk for early death. Uh, so to them, selling us life insurance sounds like a great idea. And to people like us, uh, lower rates on life insurance also sounds like a great idea. Uh, you can get a free quote by going to healthiq.com slash honest bicycle. Uh, it's a very easy system to use. You'll put in some information. They'll give you a call and talk to you for about five minutes, um, when you get a chance. And they're a supporter of the wide angle podium network and of the honest bicycle program. We're thrilled to have them, uh, Check them out. Get some uh, get some life insurance. Keep your loved ones safe. Or or just good... yourself safe, you know, so your ghost can dance around in piles of money. <laughs> <laughs> that's what life insurance is for. I'm sure of it. That's what it. That's. I mean, that is certainly one way you could uh, put it to use for you and your future. It might be uh, hard so, to list your ghost as the beneficiary of your life insurance policy, but I haven't read all the fine print. I'm actually not going to list anything. I'm just going to draw a little cartoony ghost with dollar signs for eyes. <laughs> you know who you know who might need uh, life insurance is these riders in the professional peloton, what with... Uh, disc brakes are now being allowed, and, and everywhere they go, they go. They're they're being followed by spurting blood and decapitated limbs or heads. I guess are what become decapitated, not just any old limb. The head is a limb, uh, but yeah, disc brakes seem to be tremendously hazardous uh, aspect of pro cycling right now. Yeah, I'm um, ama- I'm amazed that anybody has survived. <laughs> Gee, what do we think of this? Well, okay, so there's a story. It's actually kind of old, I guess, at this point, but. Eh, whatever. It's still kind of interesting. Well, is it interesting? Uh, yeah, it is interesting. Remember when this podcast used to help people? You guys, we're gonna help people again this week. Um, Wait, we and we're gonna and we're gonna be we're gonna go nerdy on things. Um, so that's what that's what's gonna happen. So there was this incident. It was in a stage of the tour Dubai, I believe, where there was a crash involving. Uh, Skyrider Owen Duell. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Owen Duell. Um, he has a very uh, I don't know Welsh-ish name. He has like an he's... excess of vowels. Hmm. There's a lot of that. That's not that's not an insult, by the way. That's just saying that we don't aren't entirely sure on how to pronounce it. Um, anyway, there was a crash uh, he was involved in, and that crash also involved Marcel Kittel. That will become important in a moment. Because uh, Mr. Duell realized when he got back to these Team Sky bus that his cycling shoe had been sliced as if by a razor right down the middle, lengthwise. Uh, And even that he had been slightly cut on the top of his foot. And it was relevant that Marcel Kittel had been involved. I'm not saying his name right either. Whatever. Uh, In the crash. Because Kittel was on a bicycle equipped with disc brakes. Dun 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 dun. Uh, dun dun dun. And so this became a whole big thing. And um, there were, uh, boy, there was sort of Zapruder esque uh, analysis of, of 
helicopter footage of the crash, and there were uh, journalists from Velo News uh, <coughs> putting things on spinning disc rotors to, to see if they could get them to cut things. Uh, and there were various theories about what if not a disc break, um, Duel's shoe and foot might have been cut by. But the rider himself was very emphatic that... Um, this was incredibly dangerous, and how can we have uh, these, you know, spinning blades in in the peloton? As as were a lot of uh, riders, it's fair to say, and the professional. I guess the closest thing they have to a union, the the CPA, uh, once again saying, you know, we told you this is terrible, and we demand that this be halted. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Before I go further, do either of you guys have any color or comments on that? situation am i missing anything you know i while i uh while i i want to support the notion of like riders taking steps to sort of decide for themselves what a safe work environment entails oh yeah i struggle with disc breaks because every time there's an injury well like not every time there's an injury but sometimes there are injuries and someone's like oh my god it's these disc breaks it's terrible and then it turns out that like no it's not possible that a disc break could have done that so yes there are injuries but you know and and you know all all these videos coming out of people like stopping disc breaks with their hand and like stop which by the way don't 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 do that especially don't don't do do it when there's you know when like a bike is moving but also they do it does kind of demonstrate that like all right things are not quite so easily sliced as some of the histrionics might suggest Right, so you're, so you're getting at a, a a a couple things that that yeah I've been thinking about with respect to this because I I do agree that I do think riders should have say in general right workers should have say on what constitutes a safe work environment and have some power to influence that. It's just frustrating a little bit when it seems that what they think is dangerous is like literally crazy. <laughs> so I mean, so let me lay that out. Demonstrably, not. Yeah, demonstrably not the case. So so let me lay out kind of just in terms of physically what happened here and and sort of how at least I view and I I probably all of us I, I'd be interested to hear what you think, Francis. But but probably all of us here, uh, certainly me and, and Matteo, think about this kind of whether indeed some people have been sliced up by. Disgrace, because there was also the incident uh, involving—is it Ventoso at uh, Pyru Bay last year? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, leaving even aside, okay. So there's been, as I said, this is a Pruder-esque analysis of the crash footage, right? That suggests. So it's important to understand that it was the left shoe of uh, Owen Duell that got cut. And he was to Kittel's left. So he would have to rotate. He basically would have to rotate around for this to happen. And, he, you know, people do rotate and flip around and stuff in a, in a bicycle crash. And there appears to be a point where he gets close to Kittel's bike. So it's not, like, 100% impossible that his shoe could have come in contact with the disc rotor, right? But here's the problem, which is actually been you know in my opinion pretty well demonstrated by these videos um that are out there which is that disc rotors just aren't razor sharp uh they're just not i mean even and that's not to say that they the uneased ones right with just the 90 degree angles that are available to the public since forever can't cut someone because they can like i've heard of it happening um (coughs) But, you know, there's a couple things to say on that. One is that um, people, when you get cut by a disc rotor, it's not a clean slice uh, because they're not that sharp. Um, It actually, if it's going to produce a wound, would produce a pretty pretty ugly one, you know, a pretty ugly cut. Um, Because you need, you know, when things are dull... They don't tend to cut things cleanly. They can, given enough force, but they, they that's why, you know, you're told it's worse to have a dull knife, right? It's like it can slip and cut you, and, and also, you know, dragging a, a not-sharp 
thing through your flesh can actually do worse damage right it's more and that's of like kind an of impact wounds like a yeah ragged right the, Right, and the other side of this on, is on top of this, and I don't understand why this wasn't done before because it's it's just kind of obvious. Um, but the rotors, all the rotors used in the World Tour under the testing regime, are dulled. That is, they're they're basically run on a grinding wheel or something to uh, instead of having the ninety degree edge, they're eased. Okay, they're chamfered, so that there isn't anything that could be considered a real edge on them anymore. Okay, so. It's really, given given that the tests that we've seen people doing on, yes, a bicycle in a stand, which is different from a bicycle moving forward at 30 miles per hour or 40 miles per hour, um, it's really difficult. To, you know, these tests, rather, haven't shown it you know, to be easy anyway to make a clean slice on something, um, like a shoe, for example, with a disc rotor. Um, there are more forces involved, as I said, in an actual crash but when you've got uh if you look at the pictures this shoe is really like it is cleanly sliced it looks like someone took a really nice sharp utility knife and just went zoop down the middle of the shoe um so that's it's really difficult to understand how that could happen as a consequence of a fleeting contact with a disc rotor as you kind of tumble in a crash. Uh, so most people right, are, have settled on on probably it was an upturned barrier foot that did it because the edges of those, as they get dragged around on various you know bits of pavement and on tr trucks and off of trucks or whatever, get kind of dented and mangled and can produce sharp edges in that way. Um, and that seems pretty likely to me. Um, we don't know, right? Like it's difficult to conclusively prove what happened, but it's really really hard to see for me a plausible mechanism by which a disc rotor can produce that kind of injury and that's even saying you know and that's even leaving uh, open the possibility that they can cause injuries but a really clean slice through a leather shoe i i just, I just don't buy it and so what, what what i'm coming to here in this whole debate all right this is kind of about this is like politics, uh, pro cycling edition. Okay. <laughs> and, and the thing about it being politics is, okay, first of all, there really isn't a plausible mechanism by which a disc brake rotor could have caused that, um, damage to, uh, the rider's shoe. Uh, and B that, that doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter because people are so convinced that, that, this is true in that against you know all kind of i don't know reason and common sense that that disc rotors are these uh basically <laughs> uh rotary saw blades attached to uh hubs that they're gonna cut things up so i don't know where this is gonna go um but it's i i'm sort of wondering whether um any sort of reasonable understanding of science and common sense is going to prevail uh, or if it's just going to end up shut down and and yeah i feel that tension of riders should have some say in these things and so here's my question for you i mean have you heard of anybody who like has changed their mind about i about am not aware place? of it i'm not because it just it. seems like you know, when you said, you know, the, the politics of disbrace or whatever your phrase was, I just thought about how, like, you know, I thought, I thought about America, Greg, Francis. I, <laughs> I, I too, was thinking about what a lovely metaphor this is. <laughs> and, and about how, like, any, any piece of information really, you know, doesn't, doesn't do much except serve to sort of reinforce what people already believe. Right, 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 exactly. It's like whatever happened, you know, whatever, the presidential election, well, that confirms whatever you thought about it in April, right? Well, whatever new piece of information comes up in, um, you know, the whole disc break thing, well, that just shows that um, they are terrible or that just shows that it's fine. Uh, and and it's, it's, it feels like we're not making progress on deciding what to do. Except as a that, you know, country, as a nation, as a people. <laughs> right. Well, except that status quo wins. And there's the other, you know, so there's the additional wrinkle that um, 
you know, part of the argument against it is, oh, this is just something the manufacturers are are pushing hard because they want to sell more bikes, you know, and grr, arg, um, it's it's just completely industry driven. It's like that. I mean, I I hear you, but um, you should maybe be more broadly complaining about pro cycling in general because that is indeed the entire purpose of many technologies introduced <laughs> uh and you know people i mean I, I i think it's interesting that we've settled on disc brakes as being kind of this major break that it's causing this huge debate like i don't you know 11 speed cassettes some people grumbled but you know most people are like oh yeah that's fine and um electronic shifting again there were some people making grumbles but it's been you know basically accepted by by people as being a thing um but people are really worked up about um how disc brakes are terrible actually electronic shifting is a perfect i think analogy because that is another thing there was no need for electronic shifting right like your bike with cables shifts fine it, it does open up some interesting possibilities but but overall i don't think that there's really a performance difference worth caring about between bikes that happen and bikes that don't would you guys disagree with that uh, like, cyclocross mud um oh in terms of uh it being um easier to continue shifting with with like a di2 or something yeah i mean once your cables get gunked up that's kind of it and then you have to change your cables after every single muddy okay. race <laughs> so i mean there is definitely okay, a boon yeah. there i'm i'm into that right the flip side being and then there, that, there are um, there hopefully are you can with, afford you know, a... certain dis- there are people with certain disabilities who find electronic shifting to be a pretty significant aid absolutely right, i think right, that's right, that's a right. fair yeah i mean like um, I happen to know people who actually do take advantage of electronic shifting for that exact reason. So yeah, it's, right. it's definitely okay. So, so that's fair, but I guess right. I guess but I so, guess in so terms of point, like if right, you're if you like, have if you have able-bodied racer like professional racers, you know, using cables versus using electronic shifting, the odds of it deciding right the the competition are pretty small. Oh sure, yeah, but I mean. You know, yeah, what, what are people going to argue over then? Right. No, I, exactly. I mean, you know, it's kind of... <laughs> what are we going to podcast funny. about? Right. And, and you know, it's also worth saying that um, I don't have any bikes with disc brakes. Um, I'm not really in a big hurry to do it because it'd be a pain in the butt. Um, you know, I have like three sets of... I have like four sets of wheels or something like that for my cross bikes that are all rim brake wheels, five sets, something like that, something ridiculous like that. So changing over to disc brakes to have it having like the same uh, kind of number of choices for wheels would be really prohibitively Foolish. expensive. Foolishness. So, yeah. yeah, so it's not coming anytime soon. But at the same time, like I've used hydraulic disc brakes. They're definitely better. <laughs> you know they're definitely better are they better enough that they're necessary no i mean what is but so i just find it kind of funny that i don't know i i i really wonder what's going to happen here because i think probably ultimately it's it's everyone's going to be on disc brakes and eventually everyone will be like what we were so worked up, up about but right now any any kind of time that someone gets a laceration um in sort of within a one mile radius of a disc brake bike and a pro race uh there's going to be a hue and cry about it and um i just rather focus on racing to be honest i mean <laughs> i just i don't know it just it, i should i guess i should say why it just why it bugs me which is that i just don't like it 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 bothers me when the currency of any conversation is bullshit it doesn't really matter like I, I don't I have no skin in I don't have any skin in the game right of disc brakes becoming the standard on road bikes or not like I don't have a disc brake road bike like if I did I could still race it because USA Cycling lets you use a disc brake road bike like it just doesn't matter um, but I'm like I don't even have a mountain bike I don't have any bikes with disc brakes but just bullshit annoys me what can I say like it's 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 stupid like move on you know I don't know ugh so that's that's what I think about that, um, and yeah, it's just going to keep coming up. I had another like one kind of 
closing thought on on oh yeah which was around the laceration issues you know i've had people say like well people never it's like people weren't getting injuries like this before disc breaks you know and it's like how would you know how would you know like because it was before disc breaks if you fell down and you got a big gash you just assume we'd be like well i guess i hit something sharp you know, while I was crashing, like that sucks. Um, but, but and people now, often people often talk about like there are more this or there are more that these days. People are always doing that with no basis whatsoever, other than I noticed something now and I can't think of one earlier. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what's called a cognitive bias. People, uh, <laughs> it's probably a couple different ones: recency bias. Um, there's uh oh what's the other i don't know various cognitive biases anyway point is um people are going to keep arguing about it people aren't going to change their minds which is kind of the interesting politics aspects of it and at some point you know like in politics you know someone's gonna like a decision is gonna come down uh like you know like like when you pass a bill or something like that and people will be mad about it um and after a while if it doesn't actually have any negative consequences uh, which I think it won't, right? Or if, in fact, it makes things, you know, it has positive consequences, which, whatever, it's disc breaks. It's not going to, like, let's, it's not going to, like, make everything dramatically safer or something. Um, you know, people will, will realize, oh, life is fine, and they'll move on, and it won't be a thing anymore. But someone has to make a decision first that's going to be, you know, if that decision is to allow disc breaks, very unpopular. So I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's, I think, all I have on that. So maybe we should uh, move on unless you guys have some final words on that. I think it's, uh, you know, probably time for us to move on to our, our next subject. Um, you know, now that we've uh, switched from one type of round thing to another, Matteo, would you like <laughs> to uh, bring us into Mavic's new room? Yeah, uh, I actually wanted to ask Greg some questions about it because Greg, oh, you, no. you pointed out to me that um, Mavic is uh, just just released or is releasing is in the process of releasing an update to the Open Pro, which is like is is just like the standard rim, box section, eyelets, pretty affordable, pretty durable. Like it's just good it's just this certain baseline and it has been for the past like 30 years like oh, i, I want to build like a regular wheel well might as well use an open pro because why bother using something else right i think it's more like tw- 20 years well so do you have a do you, do you have a strong do you have any strong opinion on the open pro beyond what you just said i mean you know it was like it was it, it was that like baseline of of quality to me when i first started getting into bikes and then i i couldn't help but notice like as wide rims got popular and as I think their benefits became like really obvious, uh, you know, Mavic is a holdout in, in making that change. So the fact that they're, they're updating the open pro with their like fancy brake surface and with a, a much wider profile, it's interesting. It's like, Hey, Mavic. All right. You're coming into the 2010s. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I should reveal that I actually don't, I think the open, the old open pro has been a bit overrated. <laughs> I don't think it's that great. Uh, <laughs> so that's just an FYI. I, I've, I haven't I, I think, I think that's fine. Gonna, by... I gotta interject. I think that's fine. Cause how great does an aluminum rim need to be? Like it just needs to not break. And then it just, it's there. It's like a stem, like stems don't need well, to be yeah, good. But they just need to do their I mean, job. I mean, yeah, but the, it, they tend to—they have a real tendency of cracking around the eyelets pretty early, and that doesn't mean that they stop working or anything. But it's a little distressing to see like these stress cracks around the eyelets of your. That of your could rim. be. I, I think I remember hearing something about a couple batches, or so, I don't really know. Could be. Maybe I got a bad one, but I heard that this was a pretty common complaint. Um, but anyway. So yeah, they've 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 made a new one. Oh, and, and you know the other context is that Mavic, 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 Mavic. I just say Mavic. It's probably totally wrong. Mavic, close enough. Mavic. Uh, <laughs> the it's yeah. Anyway, 
Um, so yeah, and Mavic has been a real holdout on things like rim width and uh, I was gonna say too. I thought it was tubeless. I think in think I, I think they actually have put out tubeless versions of the Serium before. Um, they've been proprietary, and I think that this new tubeless version of the Open Pro is is less less you know more more of a typical. Um, tubeless rim that doesn't require special tires whatever I could be wrong about that maybe it does but but yeah so they came out with this new it's um, 19 millimeter width that's the interior width um, the exterior is um, 23 or 24 millimeters something like that and so yeah it's a wide rim uh, and that's just interesting and they've gussied it up and I just I only mentioned this to you or I guess on the internet um, I'd heard from uh, I'd I'd spotted a tweet from our friend uh, Dave at November uh, Bicycles, who said he one of the things he was excited about about the North American hand built bicycle show was the debut of Mavic's new Open Pro, and I said what? <laughs> uh, so so I I just was keeping an eye out for that until it came along, and so I was you know kind of wondering what they were planning, and and indeed it turned out to be a thoroughly modern aluminum rim pretty much uh which i just thought if mavic is now saying okay fine tubeless is a thing um wide rims are a thing and spoke counts lower than 32 on hand-built wheels are a thing uh well i think that's it just means whatever if the, if there was an argument about wide rims it's over like <laughs> I, or or at least it was probably over already but the nail is in the coffin right now you had in one of our first podcasts greg you had called wide rims like you said something about the the greatest trick the devil ever pulled on cyclists was convincing <laughs> us that like a millimeter wider makes a difference well so Wait, hold on. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before I call you to account for that, Francis, where where are you at on wide rims? Mm, I mean, honestly, I have no opinion. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just don't know enough here nor there, nor have I ridden a wider rim and noticed any sort of difference necessarily that I have really any real opinion on it. Yeah, that's that's fascinating because like I, I usually go into experiences of new equipment, like not really expecting to actually feel anything. Like I know that's a lot is in my head, and the first time I put wide rims on my bike, I was like, "Whoa, this is completely different." I think the only equipment experience I've really, or at least the most notable of late, was uh, switching from a narrower cyclocross bars to wider ones and that seemed to make a a noticeable difference but Mm -hmm. i mean i guess i i don't know i come from racer stock where either i buy the equipment i can afford or i'm given such equipment and someone says you ride this now and i say okay and so it doesn't really (laughs) matter either way if it's good or not i'm still riding it so i guess that kind of to me took any interest in whether or not it was good out because i mean if someone gave me a pair of shitty wheels and I was just spent the whole season griping over how shitty they were, then, you know, it's not going to do any good for me. But I, I mean, kind of envy right. that. I kind of envy that approach because I, as much as I like to think that I'm like that, I'm a little bit more like the princess and the pea. Like I'm constantly switching handlebars to find ones that are like the right shape and blah, 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 blah. Oh, man, I'm terrified of changing my equipment. I mean, to the point that even if I have something that's terrible, I will continue to use it because I have a fear that <laughs> something that I else that I put on it could be worse. <laughs> that That's mainly my opinion on saddles and mostly why mm. my boyfriend looks at my bikes and goes, are you going to get a new road bike this year? And I'm like, why? This one works fine. This one is great. <laughs> Has survived many crash. Is good. Work. Pedal. Pedal good. Uh, I, <laughs> heavy is good. <laughs> heavy is reliable. I, I am. I am very. Uh, a lot of <laughs> the Russians are taking over. Uh, so I'm. I'm kind of the yeah, opposite uh, viewpoint from this whole. You know. I mean, it's awesome to nerd out about the technical details. I just. I never found myself really going down that rabbit hole, especially working at shops where, I don't know, you. We'd make fun of, you know, the, the customer that weighed 240 pounds who was, um, 
you know, getting all technical about shaving a couple grams of weight with his stem. <laughs> well, um, yeah, yeah, and I, 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 I always chuckle at the, the like, you know, why get arrow wheels when you can flip your stem? And I know everything's more complicated than that, but you know, arrow wheels do make make a difference. I mean, that that is a piece of equipment, definitely. Like switching to to deep dish wheels is like, yeah, that that makes a huge difference for sure. For sure. It's del- delicious and full of cheese. So to answer um, your, I don't know, your question slash accusation, I still feel on the on the road, I mean, it's been a while since I haven't ridden wide rims on the road, so how about that? But I still don't feel like with, at road pressures that I personally notice a real difference. Um, what I said then was that I don't notice a difference with road tires, with 23 millimeter tires, that I absolutely noticed a difference with cyclocross tires um, <laughs> back when I was still using clinchers for cyclocross. Um, <laughs> but uh, I love this like self-effacing tone you put on like <laughs> back then. Back, back when I was a plebe <laughs> who also had more money in his bank account because tubulars are a ridiculous addiction and they will drain your bank account. Um, but anyway, I, I still I still feel like for me anyway, uh, I didn't notice a particular difference, but I just want everything to be the same. <laughs> I just don't want to have to think about it. Exactly. You know I mean? See that that's that is also what I want, Greg. <laughs> I want to just <laughs> ride my bike and ride my equipment and maintain it and not have to think about it. Right, exactly. And then and, and, like yeah. a three year old, I'm amazed when someone puts nicer stuff on my bike and I'm like, Ooh, wow, this wheel has many dish. I am faster now. <laughs> I right. it took me a long time to convince my partner Heidi to borrow my like carbon tubular race wheels um for crits or whatever. It took like it took a long like years and years and years I had them. I was like, you know, you're racing, you want to borrow my wheels. She's like, whatever, I don't care. And then like she did and her second race on them, she like rode away from the field and it's like soloed to this incredible victory with no one else in the frame. She was like, the wheels are just so fast. Oh my gosh. It's like They they do make yeah. a hell of a difference. I was yeah. I was forced yeah. onto them by I think coach slash team manager who was like, You don't want to ride deep dish deals, you're a fucking idiot. It's like, okay, I will ride them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're 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 awesome. So I mean, it, it, just in broader terms, like with Mavic, I'm always kind of like not sure what the hell, like in nerdy nerdy kind of interested in tech things. I'm I'm not really sure what the hell they're doing with like their R and D dollar. Like they 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 put it in different weird directions from other people. Like they're still making wheels that are like aluminum rims with a carbon fairing, you know, and they're like, this is great. This is fine. <laughs> when everyone else is just making full carbon clinchers. And they do have full carbon wheels, but when they do make full carbon wheels, it's like, we're going to team up with, um, maybe this is Reynolds, but I think it's Mavic. We're going to team up with like the lightweight guys or Reynolds, this Reynolds guy or whatever, I forget who, to make this crazy entirely carbon wheel where everything is carbon, the hub is carbon, the spokes are carbon. Uh, they're carbon fettuccine noodles. You're wearing carbon underwear. Yeah, where it's 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 like the entire pair of wheels weighs as much as you know one wheel, and it's just like this is crazy. <laughs> but you know, on aerodynamics, they're just like, yeah, hey, just I don't know, slap a fairing on it. It's cool. Uh, so it's interesting to see them kind of do a path more followed by other people you know or they had the arsis which are like carbon wagon wheels basically and that exploded <laughs> a lot uh when they were first introduced so i don't know there's not much else to there's not really that much to say about it but i'm hoping that it, it uh i mean i want mavic to keep being weird i guess but it'd also be nice if they made some products that i would be interested in buying <laughs> <laughs> So I'm sorry, we ended up with a couple different things where I talked a lot, and that wasn't sort of what I, I wanted to go for. So, um, Maddie, I mean, you you had a bit of a, a, a bee in your bonnet about an article on Velo News about uh, a certain Alberto Contador. Do you, do you want to get that off your chest? 
I do, yeah. You know, there, so there has been some really exciting bike racing lately, um, which I've gotten a chance to watch a bunch of it because I'm like, between jobs. I have a new one starting in a little bit, and I have a nice little gap. Um, and, like, Paris-Nice was super exciting, and the... Not, I only paid half attention to it, as you can tell, because I'm not sure if it was the last stage or the penultimate stage. But it basically came down to, like, Contador attacking off the front and a, a pursuit between him and Sergio Hanau, who was in the yellow jersey 30 seconds back with about a 30-second lead, right? And it's, like, it's close. It comes down to seconds on the line. And, uh, you know, the move from Contador is one of those these, like, big, unlikely, daring GC raids. Um... That made for some really good racing. And Vela News had this article about how gimmicks like this aren't going to work in July for Grand Tours. And they called him the last of the old school, the great old school attackers or something like that. And I just think like, it was just that. It was just that line that got my goat. Because everything else was fine. But that line got my goat. It, it just felt so like, like, clickbaity and you know you were talking about i don't know cognitive biases earlier like it's hard to call someone the last of the great attackers when there's been when there have been races that have been won by really incredible attacks and when there are i think a lot of really exciting attackers in the field um in the pro field uh stages in terreno adriatico and Nice have both been won by some really exciting attacks and and uh you know Mikhail Kwiatkowski who's one of my favorite riders right now like he's this this master of this terrific sort of subtle long range attack and it, it's won him you know Strada Bianchi world championships uh, E3 Harold Becca stuff like that and so I, you know I don't trust anything that says that like stuff now isn't as good as stuff was or you know there are no more people who do this and sort of like too much shoegazing about how racing is i think just gets ridiculous and like is march there's bike racing it's not winter time we don't have to talk about stuff like this like yeah we can we can and we should like sit down and you know monday morning armchair quarterback this stuff because that's what we do and after all you know we have a podcast but as is often the case that we talk about on our podcast other people's opinions are annoying sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the world. Just, just, yes, seriously. Just, just a couple of years ago, actually, by getting into a long-range move is, is how uh, a certain Andrew Tolansky won uh, the Dauphiné, for example. That was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. It's, it's not, like, super common um, compared to the more controlled style, but it's also not unknown. And especially in these... Um, Especially when, I guess, in races that are a little harder to control um, and tend to be closer, like like a one-week stage race. Um, or in, you know, if the person holding the jersey is weak, uh, you know, I, I think it's fine to note that Contador has a history of doing that. Like, he, that's how he won the... Um, the Vuelta a few years ago, I think 2012. But the I guess now I'm getting into pundit mode a little bit, right? But um, the thing is, Alberto Contador is, for one reason or another, not as dominant as he was earlier in his career, like as a powerful rider. And so when he was that dominant grand tour rider he was winning in a very controlled way right in this non-old school way of waiting until the last climb and then obliterating everyone but that's and like that's also... like what it takes to win the general classification of anything that's longer than like seven days you know well, I mean? that's I, I true like gc stuff is is by nature conservative because you know, you have to wait until other people get tired, and pro bike races, it takes them a long-ass time to get tired. Well, but right, right, but with the exception of that Vuelta, which I just bring up because it's, it's you know, the, the point I was going to make is just that the reason that Contador does that is because he, he can't, yep. he can no longer win in a straight-out slugging match. Like, he has to sneak away. Yep. 
because like, that's why he, it's yeah it's not because it, like there's no doubt it's a maybe it's a spanish beef <laughs> <It's>, joke <laughs> yeah i got it uh it's 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 not like um uh uh it's not like it isn't like bold and daring or whatever but it's also the only way he can win these races anymore like to be perfectly honest so it's yeah. it's you know whatever i i, I kind of i hear you buddy is what i'm saying i you know pat on the pat on the shoulder and he has, he you. has like he has said in interviews that he's more interested in racing with panache than in winning which i think you know might be a way of saying like it's a lot harder for me to win so i might as well get attention in other ways um yeah which and there's like an element of of like nonsense to that because like it's a sport after all that you know winning is crossing the line first but it's also a sport where like you know if you're if you're on like a a team sport a team ball sport you know if you don't win your team loses like that's it you either win or you lose but in cycling there's sort of like many ways to to get cred yeah that's true uh well i mean you know it's a a sport where you have hundreds of people entered in you know a single race and (laughs) only one person wins it so yeah yeah uh all right i would like to i would Uh, like to i would like to uh grab the reins and wrestle it over to like the more you know as we've talked about like pro races and companies and disc breaks all that like let's take it back to the people uh because francis posted something on facebook which is a picture of you francis racing collegiate racing like well back in the day and that just it it is an old picture and I want to hear you talk about collegiate racing, just because from what I've heard, I, I didn't race collegiate. I didn't know anything about bikes other than that they were something that punk rock people could ride to shows uh, when I was in college. Um, but then, you know, ever since, everything that I've heard about collegiate racing on the East Coast just sounds like the best. I mean, it was definitely, uh, I mean, you know, Greg can speak to this as well, because we did, uh, we did collegiate racing at the same time in the uh, ECCC or Eastern Collegiate Cycling Conference. Um, I raced under the uh, banner of Mount Holyoke College. Greg raced under the banner of the Grand College of the University of Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> That's what we were called. Yes. <laughs> the Grand Estates of the University of Massachusetts. Um, so grand. And really, I mean, it was, I guess, you know, I, I always felt kind of in like bundling into the van and going driving 10 hours to Pennsylvania to to do two or three odd races and driving back late on Sunday night to resume classes on Monday morning that I was like oh aha I'm you know so much uh better I guess than all of my my peers who are just drinking themselves into oblivion this weekend um I am doing something (laughs) worthwhile um but really comparing collegiate cycling to normal I guess run-of-the-mill you know, standard USA cycling, cycling, um, it is kind of a party. I, I, I don't know, Greg, would you, would you, would you agree with that statement? Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. It, it definitely, there was some, not that there's like weird going, lots on. of heavy drinking though. I mean, there is that, um, <laughs> of course to, to an extent, but just more kind of like a party atmosphere. And I mean, I can't speak for other cycling conferences as there are several around the country, but definitely the ECCC, um, I mean, you know, you saw all of these schools and all their teams over and over again at um, the designated races every weekend. And it definitely, it was a pretty tight-knit scene. Um, and there was definitely uh, a goofiness to it. I mean, we were def- we were, I'll stop saying definitely so much. We were there to race our bikes, of course. Um, but also, I think because it was so early, there was this level of insanity to it of like, ah, haha, it's March and it's raining and it's 34 degrees. I guess we're racing bikes now. Um, and you throw a bunch of ill-prepared college students into that scenario who are all managing themselves in their own vans as adults, sometimes for the first time. Um, yeah. And certainly some odd circumstances can come out of that. Um, though, you know, some very good and memorable circumstances. Uh, but also a lot of people like, um, you know, basically showing each other pressed cans as they pass each other on the highway <laughs> taking off their pants and you know spinning their genitals at each other <laughs> yeah that sort of thing the entire you know, bike racing the entire van of, <laughs> yeah. of northeast um uh you know pressing their bare chests 
if you were female up against the uh, side of the van as they drove by on the ride home on the highway. <laughs> Suddenly want to be a college student again. <laughs> um, I know, right? But it was fun. I mean, we took ourselves seriously, but I mean, it was also inherently just really goofy and ridiculous because, you know, you'd have people... We had a pretty small team at Mount Holyoke. I mean, some of their colleges like UVM and um, UNH always had huge teams, and I'm sure that was much crazier. But it's like we definitely take some people with us trying to pull them into the fold of cycling. Like, no, this is awesome. You should come with us. And then we'd be like, you're a baby. You don't know how to take care of yourself. Never mind. We're not bringing you with us next time. (laughs) I feel like like 90% of the time – that it was the Mount Hill, the Mount Holyoke squad was like you and Metsy and Emma, basically. It was pretty much like all... me. I mean, me and Metsy and Emma, and then Rachel in the later years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Rachel knew how to take care of herself, but I mean, Rachel brought like the you know the blow up sex doll <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason, sure. which was awesome. But I mean, I guess I'm well, but... <laughs> more referring to like the freshmen who would show up for um, a D race in their long underwear underneath their um, school kit because that was literally either literally all they had and had no idea the proper things that you wore to bike racing um, or couldn't afford it or were just plain stupid. And then you have like the uh, the men's D riders who show up for a race and it's 30 degrees and snowing and they're literally in a t-shirt and shorts. And you're like, what the fuck are you doing? And they're like, I don't know. See, no, I, I, so I know that that's all, like, terrible and ridiculous, but there, there's something that I, I like about that. Cause I feel as though every time I see a bunch of collegiate bike racers all gathered in one place, there's something really, like, refreshingly not pretentious about it in ways that, like, usually there is in other bike racing, even if you get, like, immune to it after a while. And so you see people with, like, torn kit and, like, 10-year-old parts and, you know, still racing on you know, shallow aluminum clinchers near and and people are just like riding bikes and racing bikes and kind of cheering for each other and traveling with each other well, and like oh, learning yeah, together was... and it's and it's like it, it's always it always warms my heart. Well, it was fun because you had you you actually had on you know the same team this entire spread from you know you had you had a riders who were legitimately sponsored pros uh, um, and. In some you know, cases, also, yeah. In, I mean, not like on all teams, obviously, but in some cases, you know, in, in others that would be, you know, really, you know, cat one or two, like very good amateur racers. And then on like, you know, the same team in the same van, you'd have your D category racers or whatever, who literally are uh, racing in sweatpants because they can't, you know, they don't have tights, right? Mm-hmm. They're, yeah, you literally get the entire spectrum. Yeah. So and and like there was one kid I actually remember in um, I think it was the Philly Flyer uh, in because I was racing D's um, for the first part of that season. And, you know this kid was on a GMC Denali, you know, like the Walmart road bike with the grip shifters that were installed by literally cutting the bars near the stem and sliding yeah. a grip shifter on <laughs> and then like gluing them back together. <laughs> yeah, that was. I, there was a kid racing on one of those, uh, which was a little terrifying. I mean, I was on a 20-year-old uh, bike um, that I modified in some ridiculous ways to kind of make it quasi-modern. Yeah, I mean, you, you uh, so, raced on what worked. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's it's a fun mix. And so there's a good, you know, and it's, it's, it's an opportunity that um, it seems like it's one of the few places in American kind of racing culture right now where some aspect of the old club structure is still preserved, where you have the opportunity for more experienced racers to mentor the less experienced ones. Um, because now it seems like so you know people pretty much just go on the internet and have a huge amount of knowledge about training and are really strong, but kind of don't know what the hell they're doing when they're actually around people in a bike race well it's also you know that that time of life where you know you're not gonna get a scenario after you graduate college in a lot of ways where it's going to be like all right this is our team we meet here on friday afternoons everybody gets in the van and we spend the entire weekend racing bikes you know it's like we all have jobs and commitments and many people have families it's like you know life just doesn't work like that anymore and so it's kind of like that awesome little 
golden golden right. window where you know you're stuffing all of the pro almost pro racers in with the newbies in sweatpants and getting them all in a van and stuffing them all in a hotel room and you know making them sleep under beer pong tables i did that once <laughs> um <laughs> And then, you know, everybody wakes up at the ass crack of dawn to get the D riders to the first race. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting level of camaraderie. Um, yeah, sometimes you, sometimes you're in a, a, a sleeping or, or, you know, hosting situation where you're not entirely comfortable. Oh with the, my God. Do I have stories situation. to tell? <laughs> oh, I had, it's like amazing. I only did one season of collegiate cause I came into it just in like my senior year, but it, it was like, there were multiple things. It was like, oh man, like the time when, uh, it was just me and, uh, a teammate uh, who lived in like New Jersey. This was actually for uh, a race I think we'll talk about, which is uh, Grant's Tomb, where, <laughs> well, there was like a Princeton race on one day and Grant's Tomb on the other day. And it's like, I come down with them and, and uh, it's like the mom and dad seem to hate each other or they just all hate the dad because he's just embarrassing the hell out of them like constantly so it's like super uncomfortable and they won't let the kid drive into the city so um in order to get to uh grant's tomb like i had to get him to give me a ride to the new jersey like commuter rail station so that i could get on the new jersey rail and ride to grand central station and then literally ride my bike from grand central station to uh uh the upper west side of manhattan which is so, only a which, few miles which is yeah but i mean i didn't have an iphone <laughs> like yeah the, this is the days before before the everything iPhone. was a bigger adventure like, then the yeah. iphone existed but no one had one <laughs> like you know things like that or like i like it was like me and a different teammate and we were like staying at his girlfriend's parents house uh and that was weird too you know, just, but which is like, I mean, I'm complaining about this, I guess, but like, that's just the kind of thing that you have. It was just like, this is a little strange and uncomfortable. Yeah. You know? Or the, you know, the frat guys at UVM that we stayed with who like had built a bar out of like two by fours in plywood um, in their like apartment because, of course, <laughs> it's like, what the hell is going on? Oh, so, uh, memories. Yeah, there were there were definitely. I mean, I've got plenty of stories like that too. But you know, don't want to take up all our airtime yeah. here if we want to move on to Grand Stream. No, that's team. true. Well, that's, that's true. Grand Stream, yeah. So, so um, there aren't a lot of opportunities right now to, I guess, interface <laughs> with collegiate riders. But there are some races that are mixed, um, and one of them is Grant's Tomb, which I, as I mentioned, was the one that I rode up to the Upper West Side. And and so the thing is, I remember doing this as a collegiate racer, Francis. So do you, um, but. Mario, you just recently went to an edition of this race. Just a few days ago, yeah. So how was that? You know, I've raced Grand's Tomb. I've raced it twice in my life. Uh, And each time it's been the worst weather I've ever raced a bike in. (laughs) That's pretty typical for Grand's Tomb. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. You know, one year it was like 30 degrees and pouring rain and 60 miles an hour wind. Um, and that was like seven years ago or something. And this year it was just like in the low twenties and also really windy. And, uh, it's just hard to dress to race a crit in that weather. And I don't like, I don't buy, I don't buy clothing that I can race my bike in, in 22 degree temperature. Cause it's expensive. And cause like, you know, team kit changes over time. And so like, and I, you know, you, you can bundle up to train, but you don't want to like bundle up to race, like race cold weather racing clothing is really expensive considering how much you're likely to use it so it was just uh it was difficult i signed up for two races and after racing one i was like that's enough here you go columbia you can have my 20 extra dollars for that other field that i was gonna race because nope (laughs) yeah but i mean you had a pretty good race didn't you i did have a pretty good race I, i kind of you know i wanted to like if it were better weather, I would have raced really hard to get away um, and see see what could happen there. Um, instead, I kind of, like, did it around, like, raced at the front a little bit and, and did some efforts, but, you know, found that they burned my legs and my lungs pretty hard. And then just sort of, like, slithered into a top 10 in the sprint. Um, 
which uh, which felt good. Yeah, it's a good result for an early season race. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good sign that like kind of yeah things are things are where I want them to be. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's definitely it's a good start. I I hope to do it again someday. So I I raced Grant's Tomb that collegiate season that we talked about. You know where I rode up um, the West Side Bike Path or whatever the hell it is uh, <laughs> because I couldn't couldn't get uh, <laughs> a ride by car. Um, and it was similar. It was you know it was warmer than it was today. But this was like nine years ago now. It was I can't I can't even can't even believe that um this was nine years ago um and it was uh, it went well it went well it was like my third crit or something like that i think it was my third crit i'd ever done and i was in the collegiate d's and i felt like it was sort of when i first learned the phenomenon of feeling like crap and then finding out that just because you feel like crap doesn't mean that you don't have good legs because I took, I, I got a cookie preem, and then I almost, I almost won the race, missed it by half a wheel. Um, <laughs> so close, so close. Uh, which, which bugged me for a long time because I felt like, I felt like if only I'd played it a little smarter, I could have actually won it. But oh well, you know, whatever, it's fine. Um, and it was, I don't know, it was a good, it was a good time. It was, it was, it was less freezing. It was still pretty damn cold, though. All of these races were so cold, and it's such a great course. I still, maybe it's like the rose-colored spectacles of, you know, I did this race this one time and I did well, but I don't remember too many other crit courses as fondly as i do the grant's tomb course it's a it's a it's a neat course because it's it's a long crit course and then it, so it almost combines like elements of a circuit race you know it's got this really long backstretch and this one like sort of ripping fast 180 that you can just pedal right through and into this long slightly uphill drag of a home stretch and then it also has a city block sort of tacked on to the end of that whole thing so it's just a there's like some opportunity for some close quarters crit crit racing and then some sort of wide open long long stretch racing yeah i don't know if they moved the finish line even further back or what but whenever i've seen bar cams of this or something uh like of yesterday or not yesterday this let this past weekend of the race i'm always like wow i forgot how long that back that that finish stretch is it is really long yeah and it's 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 fun watching the video. I mean, because they don't know any better. The poor things of you know someone in like <laughs> someone in like the four or five race like launching his sprint at like the bottom of the hill. <laughs> you think, oh, son, <laughs> it's like five hundred meters from here. It's a long <laughs> way. Yeah. So. But I mean, that's that is actually how I almost won that race. There was this dude who at one to go attacked really hard and got a gap and as we got to that 180 um, there's also this this sharp little kicker on the course which is pretty fun i remember being pretty surprised by how steep it was uh, it might not be as steep kind of as it is in my memory but uh, you do this you make this left turn and you go up this climb and then you go this down this really fast descent around that 180 and around that 180 i see the guy up the road and for some reason i just went went after him and uh caught him and dithered a bit on his rear wheel then realized that oh hanging out in the draft isn't going to help me because he's going at five miles per hour and and so i had to sprint again which is which is probably why i didn't win it <laughs> but anyway like whatever uh so, so I don't know. Maybe that could. Maybe that will work out for some of those guys. But um, it was it was very exciting, and I, I remember it very fondly. Um, even even though I kind of kicked myself for that for a while. It's a good bicycle so, race. It is a good bicycle race. I like it. Um, Francis, any comments on Grant's Tomb? Yeah, I mean it's been it's been a while since I've I've raced it. I have kind of similar memories as you, Greg. It was very cold. I remember one was very oh. rainy. I was very miserable. <laughs> it's so cold. I don't understand. The thing about the collegiate cycling is, and we we discussed this the first time I think you were on the show, right? Which is like, the when you get off your bike and you literally, you can't, you know, racers being so cold that their teammates are stripping their kit off of them and like wrapping them in towels and just awfulness. 
So it's just misery sometimes. With a um, yeah. So anyway, Spring racing is raw. It's it's raw, and and I'm not super sad to be missing it this year, honestly. Uh, okay, so anyway, I think that's about that. Do we? Have, is there any last orders of business before we uh, get the hell out of here? Uh, I, I think we might have helped people today. I think people know about. Uh, <laughs> I think people know about collegiate cycling now, which maybe they didn't. And disc brakes. And disc brakes. Look, disc brakes are fine. It's fine. If you don't want disc brakes, don't buy a bike with disc brakes. Oh, who cares? <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, well, this has been. Beyond his bicycle program, I don't think that we ever actually formally introduced ourselves. Well, this is this is what we, everything we did up not. until now was our cold intro. That's true. It's all, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's it's all cold opening, baby. Well, I've been Greg. I've been Francis. And I've been Matteo. And this has been Beyond his bicycle program. Like I said, uh, we think you're the best. Give us a review on iTunes. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Thank you.